This is Amateur Logic, episode 107 for August 15th, 2017. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. Heard it, worked it, logged it. Let ICOM help you make the most of contest season. Hi, welcome to Amateur Logic episode 107. I'm George. Aloha, I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. And it's great to be back with you again. We've got... Uh, like up, always. Like always. We've got a fun show lined up tonight. Uh, by the way, anytime we're streaming live, you know, we've got a chat room going on at the same time. And I think you guys over in the chat room, if you look real hard, you may find... Uh, you remember our friend Jim? We were just looking at Jim. Yep. On the, on the press show. N5SPE is in the chat room tonight. Yeah. So, uh, hey, Jim. Yeah. Hi, Jim. We yeah, had a good chat to see earlier. You in there. Yeah, yeah, I haven't talked to him on the radio in quite a while. Yeah. I've talked to him um, several times recently. We're getting into some deep, I won't say philosophical, but electrical, electronic questions. Electrical, and, uh, philosophical. That's kind of close to the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he, he's he been doing some heavy stuff, man. Or maybe we get him on here one day to tell us what he's been working on. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So with that said, uh, well, a lot going on here tonight. What have you been up to, Tommy? Well, you know the, all the trouble you gave me about uh, not having an oscilloscope? Yes. Well, I finally broke down and I got one. It's right here. Well, that is an oscilloscope. Uh, well, it's almost an oscilloscope. Yeah, it almost resembles one. It uh, it actually kind of works. Anyway, this is what I did my segment on, so you'll see more of that in a little while. It's okay. kind of cool. It's a little kit to play with. All right. Uh, Peter, what have you been up to? I have been playing with FT8, a uh, brand new mode from uh, Joe Taylor, K1JT. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, we'll show you that a little bit later on. Okay. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the latest addition to the Raspberry Pi family, the Raspberry Pi Zero W. Yeah, that's a pretty nice little piece of hardware. Yeah, W stands for wireless. So they've they've stepped it up. And we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, later on in the show here tonight. We've also got a video from our friend Wayne, KG5RE, uh, produced by Vince, N5KQW. Yeah. And Wayne, well, he's going to show us building that uh, that shorter tripod oh, that he cool. did to, to run his mobile antennas on. I didn't, realize, day. I didn't realize he was doing that, uh, but that's yeah. cool. That was a nice tripod. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really was. 
That'd be interesting. So we'll be looking at that. Uh, did want to mention a couple of things. You know, I was in Houston uh, just recently, within the past month, uh, visiting with my son and his family out there. Yeah. You know, anytime I, I go out there, I always like to visit uh, Fry's Electronics. And In-N-Out Burger. There's no In-N-Out Burger in Houston yet. No way. No, there's not any out there yet. So I missed that. But I did find a, a couple other places that, um, well, that that are on my list now when I go to Houston. One is, you're familiar with this, it's Micro Center. Oh, I love that place. It's the first time I've ever been to one. Yeah, it's kind of like fries, except it's more straight to the point. Yeah. There's not a bunch of household stuff in there. It's just pure nerd gear in there. Pure nerd gear. I come back with a, a big bag of stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I spent some money in that place. That's where I got the Pi Zero from and uh, a lot of accessories. Uh, boy, I wish there was one around here. Uh, but you say I can drive to Dallas and find one there. You can find one in Dallas. Okay. Well, that, I, I go there just about every week now, yep. at least every two weeks. Well, there's one other place I found, and I, I don't believe they've got this in Dallas. This is Electronic Parts Outlet, EPO. It's in Houston. That is an electronics part shop. They've got just about everything you could imagine in there. Uh, it's like an old-time electronic shop, except they've got newer stuff, too. Uh, kits. They've got a little microcontroller stuff in there. But apparently the owners of this have gone around and just bought all the old electronic stores or anybody that was closing down that had gear and brought it into this place. You just couldn't imagine uh, all the, the great stuff. It's like going to the flea market at Dayton Hamvention. It's kind of like a Mendelssohn's with a roof on it? Oh, it's no, it's better than that. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, much better. Anything you could imagine is probably in there. Uh, I bought a lot of stuff there, too. One of the things I got was a um, an old radio. It's not like the one Peter... Scott, but it's probably a similar vintage. It's a, what did I say? It was a 1938 Motorola. Yeah, I saw oh, that. That's a nice looking piece of gear. Yeah, I'm going to do some restoration on it. It actually works, which is why I bought it. I had to test it out right there. And, uh, you know, it's got some damage to the cabinet that needs repairing. And I'm going to go in and replace the capacitor, the electrolytics and such mm-hmm. in it, and, you know. But but it's actually working, and it's AM and shortwave, so I was proud to find that. Oh, I'm sure you were. You got a pretty good deal on it, too, from what I saw. Uh, it was $65, which, you know, it's a similar size radio to the one Peter has there, a tabletop model. Yep. But uh, it, it worked, and that's the reason I paid the money, because I knew I wouldn't have to hunt down transformers or, you know, any hard-to-find yeah. parts. Well, I wouldn't consider that too bad for an, that's basically an antique. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't consider that too bad. No. A a lovely low tone, those old radios. Absolutely love them. Yeah. The the speaker's got a little damage on it, but it still sounds pretty good. It's an electromagnet speaker, though, so, you know, if I replace it, I'll have to just tear that magnet off the back and save it. But I'm going to try to use the one that's in there. It sounds Mm -hmm. pretty decent, even with a few holes in it. It doesn't rattle. So, uh, are you gonna put your cereal box speaker in there? You know, I could, but uh, <laughs> I'd have to get an old Quaker Oats 
box or something to put that in so it'd be to the period, you know. Oh, like yeah. Authentic. Well, I guess we should get on into it. Oh, I do want to mention one more thing. You know, I mentioned Wayne, KG5RE, a moment ago. He mm-hmm. and I are heading to Huntsville uh, next weekend. That'll be September. No, it won't be September. It will be August. And I don't. Yeah, 19th and 20th. Mm-hmm. The ne- Huntsville next, Ham Fest. Next uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Uh hamfest.org online if you're in the south or you can make it you definitely want to go to that one it's a really good ham fest one of yeah. the, you know one of the better ones in the country I'd yeah say. it's a great one that's where we met peter yep yeah great uh and, and where you stayed at we stayed at the uh something sweets was actually really embassy nice sweets yep oh yeah because it's all joined right there to the same mm-hmm. building so I mean, you can park the car and, and not leave all weekend. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it this year. I was planning on it, but my son decided to be in a competition down at Gulf Shores, so I'd yeah. be kind of a bad father if I didn't attend that. So yeah. anyway, we'll have a good time, but and I hate I'll miss it. But Yeah. Anyway. Well, it'll be fun. So if you're there, be looking for uh, Wayne and myself. And uh, say hello. Yeah. Is Vince going? Uh, Vince is not going this year. Okay. I'm I'm trying to talk Jim into going. He he seemed a little bit interested when I talked to him earlier today, but we'll have to see. Okay. Well, maybe the chat room can pr- put the pressure on. Maybe so. Oh, well, you know how good they are at that. So, Peter, have you got an email or a post or anything you want to bring to our attention tonight? I did actually um, receive a, I think it was an email. Uh, anyway, here it is. Um, uh, Scott, uh, actually, no, it might, might be a Facebook post. Anyway, Scott said to me, uh, uh, now, Scott, by the way, is somebody I bought my FRG7, which I featured uh, a few episodes ago, uh, and I bought, I bought my FRG7 off him. And he recalled that uh, I was going to um, try and put a frequency counter on it and did that eventuate. Well, the answer is not yet, but it is something I'm still working on. What I've been trying to do is I bought this. This is a little kit that you can buy on eBay, and it's a cheap little frequency counter. And what I'm trying to achieve at the end of the day is to get this to read the frequency or the intermediate frequency and then um, uh, be, have an Arduino read the frequency of this. I haven't had much success at the moment, though, um, for some reason, maybe lack of voltage, it's not actually reading properly. So um, uh, if anybody uh, has any circuits or anything that uh, could assist me in uh, somehow getting an Arduino to read uh, a frequency of an FRG7, I would be very uh, pleased to hear from you. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Cool. Yeah. Well, what are you going to talk about this month? We got a little little hint earlier, but do you want to set this up? Oh, yes. It's all about the game of tones. Uh, A little play on words there. Uh, Basically, there's a a new mode developed by uh, uh, Joe Taylor, K1JT, Nobel uh, Prize-winning physicist and amateur radio operator, as I like to call him, the Elon Musk of um, amateur radio. Uh, And anyway, uh, he developed Whisper and also the JT65 mode. 
And now he's basically taken JT65 and made it a whole lot faster. Hello again and welcome. Today we're going to discuss a new digital mode developed by Joe Taylor, K1JT. Of course, Joe is well known to the amateur radio community in that he developed the WSPR digital mode, as well as the JT9 and JT65 digital modes. All these modes are accessible using his WSJTX software, and FT8 is a new addition. We're not going to go through the hardware necessary for using digital modes like WSPR and FT8, as we've covered this before in previous episodes. Suffice to say, there are both commercial solutions and simple hardware designs that you can build yourself for interfacing your rig to your computer available all over the internet. We'll also make the assumption that you have some familiarity with JT65 as essentially it's the same transmission structure but just much, much faster. Let's compare FT8 with these other modes. First up we have WSPR. It's a beacon mode that sends 50 binary digits over a period of around 110 seconds. There's also some clever maths involved so that error correction of imperfectly received signals can take place. Like all these modes, timing is critical and it's necessary that both the sending station's clock and the receiving station's clock be very accurate. The signal occupies about 6 Hz bandwidth using frequency shift keying. Next mode is JT65, or as I call it, Spooky Tone Mode. Unlike WSPR, JT65 allows a simple conversation to take place between two stations, although the format of the conversation is very limited and regimented. The transmitted signal occupies about 4 Hz and is transmitted using multiple frequency shift keying and also using 65 tones that sound very, very spooky. Error correction is again built in. Transmissions have a one minute duration. So what is FT8 all about? FT8 stands for Frank Taylor Design 8 FSK Modulation. In practical terms, it transmits messages in a similar format and in a similar structure to JT65, but does so in a 15 second period. Its occupied bandwidth is 47 Hz and it again uses frequency shift keying and forward error correction. For practical purposes, think of FT8 as JT65 on steroids. Transmissions are four times faster than JT65, but also can be decoded when signals are very weak. Assuming you already have set up your rig to use WSPR and or JT65, all you need to do now is download beta version 1.80-RC1 of Joe Taylor's WSJTX software. It works just the same as earlier versions and is set up in exactly the same way. However, if you click on the mode drop-down box at the top of the screen, you will see that there's a new mode, FT8. So select that to get started. Before transmitting, you will, as usual, need to ensure that your clock is calibrated correctly. 
I use a freeware program called Dimension 4, which runs in the background and periodically checks that the clock is correct. I have set the program to do this every minute so that I can be sure that my clock is quite correct. Now I'm sure you're quite eager to start transmitting, but hold your horses. Before doing anything, read the user guide thoroughly. At the moment, lots of amateurs are just jumping on air with the new software without properly understanding things like etiquette, timing and the sequence of transmissions. The result is numerous packet collisions and the amateur radio equivalent of road rage. Take the time to read a little first and everyone's FT8 experience will be enhanced as a result. Okay, you've read the manual, your software and hardware is set up. What should you do? The first thing you should do is head over to WSPRnet.org and find out which band has the best propagation currently. In my case tonight, that's 40 meters. Now start up the WSJTX software and spend 10 minutes simply listening and observing. You'll hear stations transmitting in 15 second blocks starting at the top of the minute, then in intervals of 15 seconds thereafter. In a similar fashion to JT65, the intervals are divided into odds and evens. You can transmit from 0 to 15 seconds, and then again from 30 to 45 seconds, or from 15 to 30 seconds, and then again from 45 to 60 seconds, or thereabouts. There's a TX even slash first checkbox that selects whether you're transmitting odds or evens. Select the band that you wish to use just above the audio indicator at the bottom left, and the frequency should change. For 40 meters, I need to set my radio's dial to 7074 kHz USB. As with other digital modes, there's no need to use bucket loads of power. 30 watts will suffice, so back down your microphone gain or reduce the power slider on the software. Make sure also that the audio indicator on the left side of the screen is somewhere in the middle and green, not red. Adjust your radio's output audio to get the indicator into green territory. In a similar fashion to JT65, your pre-filled messages are located on buttons TX1 to 6. To start calling CQ, press TX6 to select the CQ message. However, remember I told you to listen a bit and look at other signals. There's a TX and RX setting where you set where your signal will be transmitted within the audio range of your transmitter. Select a Hertz value that is not near any other station. Next, you need to enable transmission. You'll see the green bar working its way across the screen every 15 seconds. When it gets to the end, that's when to click on Enable TX. Either immediately or 15 seconds later, your transmitter should spring to life and start sending 15 second transmissions on and off. You'll see your transmissions in the right pane of the program called CQ with your four digit locator which you've put into the settings before starting transmission. Ideally, grab a shortwave radio 
and listen to your transmitted signal to make sure that it sounds clean and not overdriven. The rest is all automatic. The software will automatically converse with any station that replies to your CQ and go through the usual sequence of short transmissions that both JT65 and FT8 uses. Here's a sequence I've just gone through with the station. First, VK4AFU, Daniel in Queensland, called CQ and gave his grid square QG61. I enabled my transmitter and clicked on his call sign. TX boxes 1 through 5 now changed to include Daniel's call sign and the program started transmitting. It responded with my grid square of QF22. Daniel then sent his signal report of minus 14 and the program then confirmed reception of that and gave a signal report of minus 2. Daniel then confirmed reception of my signal report with RRR and then we each sent 7-3 to conclude the QSO. All this was done automatically as I had the auto sequence box selected. I had simply clicked on Daniel's green CQ and the program did the rest. Once the QSO was over, the program reset to TX6 and transmissions were turned off. Nothing further will happen until I click on the Enable TX button again to start calling CQ. One thing that doesn't reset though is the audio frequency. You're set to the audio frequency of whichever station you were just talking to, so you may need to reset this Otherwise, you may end up transmitting over the top of the station you were just talking to. One final tip. Always keep an eye on your transmissions. You may inadvertently be transmitting on top of someone else. If you do need to stop transmitting suddenly, click on the Halt TX button and the transmission will cease immediately. That is a very brief introduction to the new Digital Mode FT8. However, you can find plenty of help at a new Facebook page called FT8 Digital Mode Experimental Group. In just two weeks, it has gathered 2,378 members, which is phenomenal. Further, you can hear lots of FT8 signals on the bands each day, which shows that the new mode is very, very popular. Check it out for yourself, and I'll see you on the bands. Joe Taylor's the man, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does some cool stuff. Yeah, and that's a great mode, and it's very, very popular. So uh, I encourage people to go and check it out. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about it right now. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. seen all kinds of... Mm -hmm. I really need to try it. Well, I've got an email here. It comes from our friend Tomei. You remember Tomei, don't you, I do. Tommy? Uh, from from Finland? Yeah, yeah. Uh, every once in a while I get a message from him on Twitter. Well, he recently visited a big ham fest over in Europe. And, oh. uh, well, I've got a couple of photos here from him. First, he said, Hello, George, just returning from ham radio event in Friedrichshafen, and I probably didn't pronounce oh. that right, Germany. Flight will get so much nicer while watching Ham Nation or Amateur Logic TV. Or how do you think? But I think, yeah, it will get better. 
<laughs> you know, if you're if you've got to take a flight somewhere, bring your tablet. You know, grab some episodes of Amateur Logic and the Ham Nation and the Ham College, and it really help you pass the time along. Ask Ar- Ask Arnie. Ask Arnie. Yeah. He, he uh, when he first got started, he got a whole bunch of them and went on a cruise. Yeah. And he sent me another photo here just to prove that, you know, he he did go where he said he went. Right there. Oh, cool. I want to go to that one these days. Ham Radio, the number one in Europe. Well, we're going to be back in just a moment. But first, let's get a message from our friends at MFJ. Do you need an HF antenna choice that's compact yet efficient? Then check out the new MFJ-1835 cobweb antenna. It's a five-band, one-half-wave antenna that's perfect for restricted spaces or portable operation. This cobweb antenna design is five one-half-wave open-loop wire antennas in one covering 20, 17, 15, 12, and 10 meters, and it handles up to 300 watts. The sky-gray fiberglass spreaders and nearly invisible wire elements blend in with your surroundings while standing tough against nasty weather. The MFJ-1835 is horizontally polarized for less local noise pickup, plus it gives you solid gain over vertical antennas, up to 5 dBi gain for working DX easily, even at QRP power levels. There's no need for ground radials with this antenna, Connect your coax to the SO239 feed point, and you'll get low SWR with MFJ's exclusive SpiderMatch broadband network. The radiation pattern is nearly omnidirectional, so you won't need a rotator. Better yet, it measures only 13 feet diagonally and weighs in at just 8 pounds, which allows you to mount it with lightweight TV antenna hardware to your chimney, balcony, fence post, or most any convenient location. Don't let limited space keep you off the HF bands. Get on the air now with the MFJ-1835 Cobweb Half-Wave 5-Band Antenna. News Flash. Now there's an upgrade kit to add 30 and 40 meter coverage to your MFJ Cobweb Antenna. The MFJ-1835 HK34 Quick Kit extends the fiberglass rods and adds elements for both 30 and 40 meter operation. And the kit works with the low and high power versions of the Cobweb Antenna. For more information on this and all the other fine MFJ products, visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Thanks, MFJ, for sponsoring Amateur Logic. Really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Helps, helps really appreciate those guys. They, they, that's pretty cool about the upgrade for the antenna. I didn't know they had that. Yeah, it, I just found out this week. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I like that antenna. It worked great at field day. Yeah, and yeah, 30 and 40 meters to it. What, that's seven-band yeah. antenna? Uh, yeah, yeah. And speaking of MFJ, there's something we want to remind you about that we, we mentioned it last month, but we're going to so mention good. it. Let's mention it this month, th- too. Let's mention it again, because you want to get in on this. You don't want to be like Tommy last time around and miss out on, the, out on, the, on chicken. the free chicken. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if nothing else, Arnie is going to be there, so there's there's a good reason to go there. Yeah. I believe Arnie's club's going to be doing VE testing there, too. I believe so. So. There's a lot yep. of good things going on. Yep, it's MFJ's 45th anniversary ARRL Day in the Park. 
you're invited to come and celebrate with them in Starfield, Mississippi, September 28th and 30th this year. They only do it every five years. This will be the third one that I've attended. That's a Friday and a Saturday. Yep. Uh, they got free prizes there like, um, well, Ameritron, Cushcraft, High Game, Mirage, and Vectronics prizes. They do the drawings on Saturday afternoons at uh, 2 p.m., and you do have to be there to win. Uh, but uh, one of the best reasons to go, Tommy. Free factory tours. Interesting educational tours for the whole family at MFJ. They've got a lot of facilities there. They've got Ameritron, Cushcraft, High Gain, Mirage, Vectronics, MFJ Metal Shop also. And uh, anyway, those are Friday uh, the 29th at 8 a.m. to 4.30 and Saturday the 30th from 7 a.m. until noon. And they've got free lunch, of course. Uh, Mississippi Southern Fried Chicken and all the fixings from out. That'll be at McKee Park, which is near MFJ there in Starkville. Uh, bring your lawn chair and uh, look for free food. I mean, that right there does it for you, doesn't it, Tommy? It, it, it does. It sounds really tempting. Matter of fact, I'm not going to miss it this time. Between that and the factory tours, yeah, you know yeah. those factory tours videos were some of the the most watched ones we had for a long oh, yeah. time. Oh yeah, probably still are. I haven't looked. Yeah, and they also got to have free tailgating there, where you can haggle and deal in the MFJ parking lot and also at McKee Park. That's uh, the 30th from seven until two. Yep, yeah. and they've got uh, free forums and they'll have demos there. Uh, to be announced, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you can take your FCC exam um, from Arnie's VE team. Yeah, Lowndes County Amateur Radio Club. Bring your government photo ID and $15 cash, and that starts on the 30th at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that, that's got to be American cash. It can't be Swedish Somalis, can it? I don't know. Maybe Arnie would swap them out for you. Maybe he would. All right, so so y'all go to uh, mfjenterprises.com online and register. You have to register for this so they know how many folks to expect. You wouldn't want to show up there and not have enough chicken. That, that so, would be a travesty. Yeah. So go register, and, and do plan on being there if you can make it. It is well worth the trip. You'll have as much or more fun here than you'd have at any ham fest. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you it, will. It's really a great event. So we look forward to seeing you, a lot of you there on uh, September 29th and 30th. I'll be there. I'm going to try to get Tommy I'm to come. I'm planning on being there. Maybe we can get our friend Jim to come. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, Vince and uh, Wayne Probably are both so. coming. Uh, yeah. Pretty much a Everybody I know that's a ham is talking about coming. Yep. So uh, MFJ Day in the Park, it's going to be a great event. Tommy, the hat has been back on the road, hasn't it? Man, that hat has been in the air, on the road, you name it. That hat gets around. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, this is uh first bunch of these pictures are from our friend John, K2BAG. This one's on the tarmac here. It's about to hit the tarmac again. It's a repeat trip to Seattle, L.A., and San Francisco. Oh, that hat needs its own frequent flyer account. It does, yeah. Oh, it's up in the Great White North again, up in uh, VE3 MIC country. 
Boy, it is. True North, strong and free. Yep. And another one from Canada. It's making a UPP appearance. I'm not sure what that Whatever is. Whatever UPP appearance is. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure John can clear that up for us. He's in the, uh, in the chat room. And uh, the other show, the other ham radio show you're on, has a chip stick, but we have a mic stick and a hat. Wow. How can you go wrong with those two right there? I'm not sure that mic stick will do the same job as the chip stick, though. Sir, may I have another? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got another, um, yep, there's yet another, another photo here, don't we? Yep, and there's the hat chilling out in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> that hat, I mean, it, it gets around. He represents very well. Yeah. Very well. But he's what not the only doing? one. Wearing his colors? Yeah, he's not the only one representing wearing the colors. Our friend. All you need now, all you need now is to get your president to wear the hat. Yeah. Uh, that uh, can be arranged. That would be good. Yeah. And this is our friend Matt Bowman, N9NMH. Uh, he was working uh, a special event station on 40 meters using his ICOM 7300, and uh, he was representing very well with the Amateur Logic shirt. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for sending us a photo. Yeah. And Yep, and we had one more uh, video that came in yeah. right near the end. And this is our friend Tom. You, you remember Tom Appledick? I I'm probably butchering his name up. But you probably uh, are. I yeah. probably am. So I apologize for that right now, Tom. But he, uh, Tom, was wearing the shirt at Yellowstone, and that's one of the uh, the vents. He said there was actually more hot air there than it is on the ham on Amateur Logic. So that's what that hole in the ground behind him is. Yeah, that's what that hole is. Wow. I never realized that thing made that much racket. I didn't either. That that place is on my bucket list one of these days. Wow. Yeah, so anyway, so that's uh, the only place with more hot air than us. <laughs> well, so I appreciate you time. guys. Yeah, I appreciate all you guys for sending those in. If you want to get yours on, uh, if you're representing wearing the swag, showing the colors, uh, send the pictures or videos in and... Uh, Pretty sure you're going to make your way onto yeah. the show. Are those right there? Were posted on the Amateur Logic uh, Facebook group and the Google Plus communities. Yeah, yeah. So if you put them on there, they're fair game. Yep. <laughs> uh, where can they get the swag? Well, you can get your very own swag at amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. We've got hats, shirts, jackets, uh, hats, shirts, and jackets. <laughs> yeah, that about sums it up. <laughs> Pretty much it? sums it up. Uh, sweatshirts, uh, there's Ham College and Amateur Logic stuff on there. Yeah. So you can get yours there. Amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. Be there or be square. Yep. Well, next <laughs> up here, we've got a video that our friend Wayne, KG5RE, and you've seen Wayne on the show numerous times, and, um, you know, he. He is really into, I'd say, the the portable operations. Mm -hmm. He likes to be able to operate portable. And he built an Outbacker-style outpost a couple of years ago, maybe longer. But mm -hmm. he just built another one, a little bit shorter. As a matter of fact, he used it at field day this year. But uh, here's a video of Wayne uh, describing the build process and 
how you can make one of these yourself. And it'll work with an Outbacker, or he actually had a little Tar Heel 2 on it this year, or most any mobile HF antenna. Okay, for the additional hardware that I'm going to be using, I have a Wilson uh, CB mount, gumdrop stud, which is a 3 8 by 24. Uh, found this on sale at the truck stop for about $10. I have some quarter inch by 20 by 1 inch uh, machine screws, or excuse me, bolts and nuts. I have some half inch by 257 by half inch nylon spacers and I have some two inch by one and three eighths inch brass hinges for the legs and the feet. The top plate for the outpost is a one eighth inch piece of aluminum flap that's cut. Um, let's see, this one is about about a four inch triangle all the way around which will uh, give me plenty enough room for the two inches that the legs are going to attach to. This is what the stud mount is going to mount to in the center. Okay the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take the aluminum angle. Like I said these come in eight foot sections. So eight times twelve is ninety six inches. We're going to divide that by three. We're going to get thirty two inches and when we get that done We'll come back and we'll start showing you how we'll piece it together. Okay, so to assemble the tripod legs, we've got a 32 inch piece that we're going to take two of them and put together with spacers in between. So to maximize the stability on this, since I'm going to have a hinge here at the bottom and at the top, I'm going to put a spacer at 10 and a half inches and 21 and a half inches to give me the most uh, support that I can get out of these legs. What we're going to do is we're going to take them and put the sides like this drill the holes, spacer in between, and we will run a, uh, a bolt through there, through the washer, and a nut on each side, on, on the side, and we will tighten that down, and that will give us a two inch wide leg to match the feet They're gonna, that will attach to the bottom of it, and when it folds up, it should be spaced about like that. Okay, we've got the spacers here and here with the nuts or the bolts running through and the nuts on the side. We've got them tightened down. We just need to repeat this same step two more times with the other ones and then we can attach the hinges to the top and the bottom for the uh, base plate where the antenna will go and the hinge for the leg that will flip out. Okay, now that we've got all of our holes drilled in our uh, leg portions, 
we're going to go ahead and attach the hinges to the legs. And one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning is I'm going to be using hot rivets to attach the hinges um, all the way around. Okay, now that we have all of the parts assembled, um, I guess it's time to test it. And by the way, down at the bottom for the feet, that, uh, or down on the ground, I just used some standard uh, machine bolts and nuts to give me the ability to manipulate the feet on the ground if I have a slightly more constricted area, such as like this. It won't take up quite as much room in a in an area if I need a smaller footprint. Now here we've got the my outbacker antenna hooked onto this homemade outpost, and right now with the antenna analyzer, we've got it at right at 7249. Uh, got a 1.1 SWR. We can move up and down a little bit because we've only got about 60 kcs on this thing. So we go down to about 7.2 and up to the top end of the band at 7.3 and we're doing pretty good. That's a nice tripod he made. It is, and it worked good, too. Yeah, you were talking about he's kind of into portable operation, but he's he's kind of into camping and stuff, so it sort of fits. I well, don't know if he goes yeah. much anymore, but I know he was really big into going camping. Well, but, where he lives, you know, he can't really put up an HF antenna. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if, if uh, there's an emergency, Wayne and Vince are going to be able to get on the air. Oh, yeah, I no mean, doubt. I they, they got the gear, man. No doubt. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, Jeff, that was a nice for project. Some, for somebody that can't put antennas up, they probably got more than anybody I know. Heard it, worked it, logged it. Contest season is here. ICOM's high-performance and innovative transceivers will help you make the most out of contest season. Continue your contesting momentum with the IC7300. Ideal for the ham-on-the-go it's a high-performance HF transceiver with a compact design, RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The IC7851 will give you the competitive edge you've been looking for. Raise the bar and hear what others cannot with this HF 50 MHz transceiver. Reciprocal mixing dynamic range. 
crystal clear local oscillator design, spectrum scope, dual receivers, and digital voice recorder. And don't forget about the ICOM IC7700 and IC7600 radios. Both of these top-of-the-line transceivers are still available and sure to be the perfect companion for this contesting season. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. And thanks, ICOM, for supporting Amateur Logic. Couldn't do it without you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, we shot a video just recently with our friend Ray Novak from ICOM. We did. We had another SmackDown. Yep, it was a SmackDown between the new ID4100A and the ID880H. Yep. It wasn't very much of a competition. Well, no, it wasn't. And why do I always get the old radios in these SmackDowns, you know? Because uh, you're kind of the old school guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not really working for me anymore, Tommy. It's you know. Yeah, but you yeah. know, it's uh, I always like when when Ray comes to town because usually there's going to be some pretty cool stuff to play around with. Yeah. And uh, you know, when we were in Dayton this year, I had several people. Uh, there's probably at least three people I know asked me when we were going to do another SmackDown. So there, there you it go. is. We also shot another video too that hadn't been released yet. It's still in editing right now. It's on the. Uh, I see, I can't remember the number now. Is it R8600? Yeah, or I think that's it. Yeah. Really, really awesome. Yeah, like a DC almost to 3 gigahertz. Yeah. Software to fire your Very cool. Super nice radio. So also we got some uh, something else too. It's a little bit different. Some handy, couple of handy talkies. We do. And uh, we'll hope to be... show those here coming up pretty soon on the Amateur Logic segment. That'll be coming up very soon. Yep. Well, Tommy, you've uh, got an email over there, don't you? Or is it a I've post got, or what I've is got, it? It's an, it came as an email. It, it's kind of more of a press release type thing, but it was pretty interesting. It came from Jennifer Moore, K4, I'm sorry, KF4INA. Anyway, it says, uh, Benson Valley High School KN4BBD has been selected by the ARISS US program to move to phase two toward participating in a scheduled amateur radio contact with the International Space Station. And that happens in 2018. Anyway, they had a presentation that was prepared by a faculty team member led by Jennifer, KF4INA. The school's proposal is one of 13 by U.S. educational organizations that will move to the second phase of the process. Uh, If uh, the school enters the second phase and submit an equipment plan, and review if it's accepted by the ARISS program. Uh, you know they'll they'll have their contact stuff set up mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, it's it's rather long, so I'm kind of summarizing it a little bit because I'd be here for quite a while. But uh, if you want more information? Look at the uh, lower thirds there. The Pinson Valley High School has a website. Uh, they also have their own club there, kind of like uh, Bill has here, and their club call sign is KN4BBD. But uh, that's pretty cool. Good luck to those guys. I hope they get it. Where is that club? It's uh, Pinson Valley School. It's over Jefferson County, Alabama, near Birmingham. Okay. So it's not too far from here. Cool. All right. You've got that little box sitting there on the table. I do have this little box sitting here. This This is my oscilloscope, if you can't tell. 
Shall I plug it up? Yeah. I don't think anybody believes you. It lights up. Yeah, it lights up. And eventually, I've got it hooked up to the test signal. You can't see it very well, but it's working. There you go. It's working. All right. I believe you. All right. <laughs> but anyway, I put this kit together. It was pretty cool. So anyway, let's take a yeah. look at that. This time I'm going to do something that's quite a bit out of the normal for me. I usually stick to the Raspberry Pi computer-based stuff or practical, but this time I'm going to actually build a kit. Uh, George has always given me a hard time about not having an oscilloscope, and I really didn't think I have a need for one uh, for most cases. Plus, I figured I could borrow his. I've got this kit for a DSO-138 oscilloscope from JYE Tech. This is the original one. Um, if you get one of these, be sure to get the original one, not one of the knockoffs. we got the probes, alligator clips, and BNC. The display, which is wrapped up in the bubble wrap. The printed circuit board, which has already got the surface mount components already soldered on it. You can get the kit both ways. I didn't figure I was quite up to doing that for one of my first kits. There's an instruction sheet on how to put it together and then an instruction sheet on how to operate it. I guess I should also say inside the package are the components. Not too many. It's a, it's a nice little handful, but I don't think it's going to take too long to do it. Let's go ahead and get started and get this thing done. I'm anxious to see it work. finished there are a few things to be aware of when you put this kit together the LCD sits on top of the other board so it's critical that you get these headers in the lined up perfectly straight or you're gonna have a hard time getting this thing put together follow the instructions carefully some of the components on here are polarized so they have a positive and a negative make sure you pay close attention to that one thing I did that made it a little bit easier was uh, some of the components are very small and my eyes aren't as great as they used to be so I used my little circuit tester here or my little component tester and I tested the values of a lot of the components to make sure that they were good and to make sure that uh, I was interpreting the markings correctly. So it's, uh, this was very handy to have. It's not required, but it's an, a nice little gadget to have. 
I also went ahead and 3D printed myself a case for it, and I'll show you it all put together later. I'm going to use the case to stand it up so that uh, I can show you. We can go through the procedure to test it. Let's go ahead and put the test leads on, and they just hook onto the BNC connector here. Also, the unit operates off of 9 volts. We can plug 9 volts either into the white connector here or into the black coaxial connector. And I just so happen to keep a connector like this here and it's hooked up to my variable bench power supply. So I have my supply set to 9 volts. This is a 5.5 by 2.1. I'll go ahead and power it up. And let's see, it's booting. We can see uh, jyetech.com, DSO138 is the model number, and there it is. According to the instruction manual that came with it, we're supposed to be able to touch the red lead with our finger and see some, basically some noise on the screen. And that looks like that is the first test. Next thing we want to do is to go through the calibration process. So I, I, I went ahead and I did that. I, I don't seem to be able to get a square wave on mine. So it says to go through set, send one to five to point one volts, which would be the middle switch. Set this to AC or DC, and I've got it on DC. And this, the bottom one, is to X1. And we see we're not centered. So I'm gonna go ahead and set the baseline down here to the center. To do that, we use this button on the bottom right here then that uh, not the very bottom because that's a reset the one on the bottom right moves the cursor around the screen and allows you to use the up and down to control it so let's go ahead and move this around till it selects the center marker over there on the left so let's go ahead it'll turn kind of pink and it's there if we hold down the OK at the top we'll see the marker jump up and then we can zero it. Okay, we're bringing it up to the center. The instructions have you put a piece of wire up here to make a test, um, to get a test signal from it. The built-in test signal is, is uh, one kilohertz at 3.3 volts. So let's go ahead and hook up. I'm supposed to have more of a square wave to set it, we're supposed to bring this down here and change this to 0.2 milliseconds, which is right there. But you can see my wave isn't quite square. I've tried and tried to get that square by turning these two pots over here, and it doesn't seem to have much result for me. You can see my display is not stable. To stabilize that, we need to remove our trigger marker. So we move this cursor around till we get to the trigger. And if we move that up a little bit till it's in range, it'll stabilize our display. And we see there. So let's try to adjust it. We're supposed to turn this bottom one, X4, until these come square. Doesn't seem to have much effect to me, so I'm not sure why. It's very possible that it may be my small screwdriver here that's not reaching in there and getting a hold of those little uh, 
places there. I'm going to have to try to find a better one. But let's go ahead and we'll take this off. Let's center. Let's go to 1, X1, 1 volt, and DC. And let's go ahead and center the baseline. Let's try to measure something real Let's uh, and check and see if it's accurate. So I've got this this little audio generator and we'll run a known signal into it and see what it looks like. So I'm going to go ahead and hook this up to the leads, to the probes. I'll hook the black up to the black. The red to the red. And let's turn it on and see what we've got. So I'm going to turn it on to, I'll just make it 32 kilohertz to start with. And we can see we've got something here. We need to, we're going to have to adjust our time base. So it's still at two milliseconds. Let's go ahead and bring the cursor back around to the time base. And let's go ahead and change it up, move it up. And we can start to see our waveform. There's a function on here that we can turn on the actual measurements and see the digital readout of what the scope is finding. To do that, we set the marker, the cursor here, to the time base, hold down the OK button, and that enables this frequency display up here. Incidentally, that's also the hold button. If you tap that, it freezes the display where it is. So I want it to run. You can tell it's running or hold up there in the top. So we can see right here we've got 32.24 kilohertz. And so that's actually reading the correct frequency. And my waveform looks good here. My, my audio generator will also do a square wave. So let's change that to square and let's see what it looks like. And I do have a square wave. We can, uh, let's change the time base again to make that just a little bit bigger. If we change the amplitude, we can see that the size of it on the scope changes. That's pretty nice. I don't, uh, I've got to try to adjust it to get my corner square on my way for my test signal. Not sure why that's not doing it. It's a good chance that it's my screwdriver not getting a hold in there good and turning that to change the value. So I'll, I'll find a better tool for that. Let's go ahead and turn it off. And let's put it inside of the little 3D case I printed for it. Now, I did not design this case. I found it on Thingiverse, and I, I just printed it from there. I was going to make my own, but I really don't see the point with this one working so nicely. All right, so here, here it is inside of the case. The case is pretty nice, I think. It's got a little base on the back, so my 9-volt adapter that I made will plug into it and the battery will slip right inside the hole right here so it's out of the way or I can just use it with my power supply when I'm here. 
Let's go ahead and hook the probes back up and power it up. And it's booting. I've got access to everything on, with my case here. I've got a hole for the reset. These little uh, buttons are kind of notched a little bit and they're flexible so you can actually use that. And it gives you a nice grip for the buttons, at, but it doesn't break these and it get, makes them kind of a little extended so it's easier to work with. Let's run our signal back in there. And we can see that's that's what it looks like working. I went ahead and I made these labels, OK, plus, minus, and select, ground, AC, DC, one volt, one-tenth volts, 10 millivolts, and then X5, X2, and X1 on the switches. They're not the nicest looking labels, but they do work. Let's go ahead and turn that back off. And we can see the display clears up here. Anyway, it's a fun kit. Just follow the instructions very carefully, and I think you'll probably be successful. Uh, don't get your soldering iron too hot. Be sure you use a super fine tip uh, for those small components, and watch the polarity on the ones that it shows you uh, have plus or minus. Again, a little, a little tester like this is a pretty nice thing to have if you're a little unsure about some of the components as I was. So I can see getting a good bit of use out of this for looking at uh, logic, you know, highs and lows on my Arduino projects and some of my Raspberry Pi stuff. This thing goes up to about 200 kilohertz, I believe, frequency range. So it's, it's not sky high, but it is in a good usable uh, range for, for doing certain projects. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, if you get one of these, get, be sure you get the original from the manufacturer, JYE Tech. Don't uh, support the, the knockoffs. They're, they're pretty inexpensive. I think you can buy them for anywhere between $18 and $30, so that's, that's pretty cheap to get a first little scope to play with. 73. That's a neat kit, Tommy. Yeah, it was, it was fun to put together. It's like a gateway drug for an oscilloscope, though, because now I got the itch to buy a regular one. It served its useful life, but, and uh, it's it time was, to. It's neat, you know. I, I I couldn't get the square corners. The compensation, yeah, for the probes wasn't working for some reason, and uh, I was going to pull those little trimmer caps off of there and test them, and. I couldn't get them off, I, but I was trying to use some solder wick, and I, they got pretty hot, so I stopped. I was going to see about borrowing your solder sucker to pull mm -hmm. them off there, and it started working. I, I don't know why, but I checked those solder connections back there before. But anyway, it uh, it all works fine. It works perfect now. Yeah. Really weird. Yeah, because you, you had a good-looking square wave on it a while ago. Yeah. I thought the case came out pretty cool, too. That was, a, like I said in there, that was a free case I downloaded off Thingiverse. How much? How much money you think in uh, in filament to print oh. that? Uh, a whole spool of mine is a little bit more than other because I use the cartridge, so it's probably about three dollars worth of filament, maybe four dollars tops. Okay. I couldn't drive to the store and buy a case for that if there was even some place to buy one. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's. That's worth the money, man. That's a nice-looking project. 
Yeah, it was it was fun. Something different too. I haven't built a kit in a long time. Yeah. So. What do you think about that, Peter? I think it's a great kit, and uh, we're lucky to live in a time when there are so many inexpensive kits that you can get from China and elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, this one came from China. This uh, JYE Tech is the one that uh, put it out. Uh, some another company kind of bootlegged their their stuff, and uh, the hardware is open source, but the software that runs on it's not, and that's mm-hmm. what they kind of bootlegged. So, if you I do, do have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, are you aware? Has anybody uh, ever developed an oscilloscope built around the Raspberry Pi? Um. I don't know. I, I, I want to say I looked into leader. that. It's really not fast enough to, mm-hmm. to well, no, the pie would be. Yeah, I think there's probably probably a project out there for that. Peter. There's actually some yeah. based on Arduino yeah. also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be interesting to look into. Yeah, this just incidentally, this one says it's good up to 200 kilohertz. Uh, but when mm-hmm. I ran over 50 to 75 kilohertz into it, it started acting kind of flaky. Although the frequency digital readout was okay, the draw and the waveform couldn't quite keep up. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, at that price, man, if it got over audio range, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's doing pretty good. Well, neat kit there, Tommy. Just so looking here. you can't give me a hard time about not having a scope anymore. Well, I still can, yeah. Because what if you need to measure, say, 201 kilohertz? Yeah, that's why I come over here. <laughs> Actually, I'm probably going to buy one. Uh, I want one. I'm in the market for one. I don't want to spend a fortune, but I kind of like to have one that's got uh, protocol mm-hmm. decode on it. So it's kind of shopping around. Yeah. Okay. Um Oh, I see our friend Chris, KD8YVJ, says he's working on a project. He might bring it to Huntsville if he can get some parts he needs delivered on time. Cool. Yeah, high scope. Yeah, we'll be looking forward to seeing you all in Huntsville, too, Chris. Yeah, I hate him. I'll miss you all. Yeah. You know, I promised a little earlier I was going to talk about that Raspberry Pi Zero W. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah, I bought one of those, but I haven't done anything with it yet. Well, I bought one, and I did something with mine. This is it. I mean, this is all I've done with it, but I'm going to do something else. Okay. So here it is right here, sitting on uh, the desk here beside us. If I can get that to where you can see it there. It's the pass supply. Uh, It's wireless. Yeah, well, I've got a power (laughs) supply, but... This this is more or less the same form factor as the Raspberry Pi Zero, except they've added Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to it, and it sells for ten dollars U.S. Yeah, that's that's amazing. You can buy it for that. How much was the Pi Zero? The original one. Mm-hmm. Ten dollars. It was. Um, it was. Actually, I think it was five dollars. Yeah. The original one. Yeah. It's worth five dollars to get Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I bought that original Pi Zero, and I haven't done anything with it because by the time you take something this size and you plug all the little dongles that are required to do anything with it, Wi-Fi mm-hmm. or network or whatever, 
then you kind of defeated the purpose of having a small device like that. Yep. So it's got 802.11n Wi-Fi and Bluetooth 4.0. Runs off of 5 to uh, 5.25 volt power supply. Supplied by a micro USB uh, connector right there. Same as all the other Raspberry Pis. They all take that as a power supply. It has a micro SD card for your operating system. Yes, this tiny board can run an operating system on it. It runs Raspbian, just like the other Raspberry Pis. If, um, if you go download the version of Raspbian, you don't have to tell it which board you've got. It automatically yeah. recognizes Yeah, exactly it. the same one as the bigger one. The uh, HDMI port right there, that's a, that's a little bit smaller than a, a typical HDMI. That is a, um, a mini HDMI port, which is the same thing that most of your uh, HDMI cameras, you know, your, your digital camcorders these days have. Uh, of course, we've got plenty of cables like that here at Amateur Logic, but you can also get adapters. Here's one right here that has uh, got the micro, or excuse me, mini HDMI on one side and a standard HDMI feed on the other side. So you can just take that and adapt a standard HDMI cable to fit in there. Uh, Let's see. It's got one micro USB port on it right here. It's the same size as the power supply port, but if you'll notice there, one is labeled as power in, the other is labeled as USB. So one USB port, but what can you expect on a $10 computer? Mm-hmm. All right, so that is a micro USB, and they make a cable that they call uh, USB on to go. And, and this is it right here. It's just got a standard size uh, USB uh, female on this end, and then the micro USB on the other end. Just a little adapter cable there. That's what I'm using with this one. Yeah, and you can buy those for almost nothing on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually picked up that when I was at Micro Center. But, I, you know, you could order it for a little bit of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, GPIO pinout on it. Right across here. There are no pins in there right now. It's, it's unpopulated. Of course, that keeps the cost down, but also makes this thing really thin so if you you know got a real thin project trying to build that doesn't you know add any heft to it of course you can get these little uh, header pins for a little bit of nothing uh it takes a double row of them there but you could use a couple of single rows do the same thing or you know if you're going to solder your own on there and you only need to do that if you plan to use a GPIO you can even get the female ones, and I uh, put those on there, so then you can just plug jumper wires into it. Uh, and, George, you can also bring the power in through those pins as well if you don't want to use the uh, micro-USB plug. Okay, wasn't aware of that. Yeah, but that's a, That's a good yeah, point. I think, it, though, you may bypass the fuse if you do it that way, so just be careful about that. GPIO pins. This this is the same layout as on a Raspberry Pi 2, uh, A plus or a B plus. So all your your standard what do they call them on the Raspberry High uh, Pies? Hi, hats or shields or what do they like to call them? 
Um, I don't know. I don't. I've never used it. Whatever on you the call them pie. that you plug on a Raspberry Pi, the the daughter boards you can plug on there for different functions. If it'll work on a Raspberry Pi two, an A plus or a B plus, it'll work on this computer right here as well. It's got a cable for the uh, Raspberry Pi camera module, but it's a different size than the standard Raspberry Pi, so you'll need a different cable if you're going to use the Pi camera with it. And there's two other little sets of holes here or for installing pins. The top one is labeled Run, and there you can install a push-button switch or, or leads to one. And what that does is after you've powered down the unit, you know, uh, or excuse me, not powered down, but actually shut down through the operating system, then if you've got a push button soldered in there, you can hit the push button, it will power it down completely. And then you can hit it a second time and it'll cause it to boot up. Oh, but it won't shut down. But it. Well, it probably would shut down, but that's not a oh, good but way. You're not going to do a clean shut. Yeah, you you you, you want to go through the operating system to do a shutdown so that you don't trash your SD card. I think Peter would confirm that's a good idea. Oh yeah, I, I can confirm. I'm sorry, I missed that, George. What was uh, you want to? Sh- you want to go through the normal shutdown procedure for your Raspberry Pi. You just don't oh, want yes, to kill definitely. the power. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I got burned by that one, too. And, of course, uh, SD memory card slot. We talked about the GPIO, the camera port, the power, mm-hmm. one USB, HDMI video out. But there's not a composite video out connector on here. Does However, anybody even use that? You can. There's another set of holes right here labeled TV. Right there, you can install a cable for composite video out. So you can, you know, run this to a, a hmm. better composite monitor as well. So if you can still find one. If, well, yeah, I can find one in my closet. <laughs> so that's a lot for a ten-dollar computer. It is. Yeah. It, it's a really amazing little piece of hardware. I, I I said I haven't done anything with mine yet, but I do have plans for it sometime pretty soon. Well, I'm going to do something with mine right now. I've installed the Raspbian operating system on here. I haven't added any software to it. I've just done the regular updates. And, uh, well, I just installed it uh, a week ago, so there's there's not much on there yet in the way of upgrades. I'm going to plug in a little dongle here for a Bluetooth keyboard that I've got. And let's see, we'll need a power supply for it as well. You want to borrow my 9-volt battery? No, I don't I don't think I want to put 9 volts in there. How about 5? There it is. Yeah, oh, I will whoa. say they're, it's, they're not as fast as like the Pi 3s are now. No. But, but then again, look, look what you've got. Yeah, I think this is the same CPU that was in the original Pies. So, you know, it's a single core. It's not a quad core or anything like that. But it's got almost everything else, you know, that the other Pies had, mm-hmm. plus Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I've done some stuff on here. It'll, you know, it'll do uh, web browsing, of course. But 
I've noticed, you know, up here in the top corner, you've got the um, CPU usage, a uh, little monitor there. It sits at 100% quite a bit. You know, I suspect that a lot of that's probably the GUI. If you were a command line guy and you had something, you know, some little server program, yep. something you were running, the thing probably, you know, run pretty well. It will run a GUI, and you can see it right there. Mm-hmm. And it's got pretty much, you know, all the software installed on it that you've got on a, a regular Raspberry Pi. So anything you want to do that you can do on a Pi, you can probably do it on this one. It's just going to be a little slower, naturally, but 10 bucks. Yeah, There's a, lot, a lot of useful things can be done with that. And so there's one other test that I wanted to do on it, and that's just to see... Can it play video? No, I didn't want to look at the file. It's, it's 512 megs of RAM also, isn't it? Like the original Pi? I believe so, yeah. It's not a lot of RAM, and you know that's why it's a little bit slow right here. All right, I've got a video file on here. Well, it's the last episode of Ham College. Let's just see if it can keep up and play video. Looks smooth. Yeah, it does. It's pretty amazing Wow! that this little thing right here can actually play video and and do all the you know, same things that you'd have on a, a normal computer, more or less. Here, I'll jump up in that a little bit. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, you recognize those two guys? Looks like a couple of troublemakers. I think so. <laughs> yeah. There's a few things we want to talk about before we go, don't we? Yeah, first of all, you probably noticed the nice shirts we've both got on. Yeah, Tommy and George's wardrobe. Yep, uh, those were sent to us. Compliments to Andy. Andy Anderson? Yeah, well, and I, can't, I can never remember his call, but I did write it down. K-E-0-A-Y-J. Anyway, really appreciate those, Andy. Yeah, we talked to Andy at, um, well, at Dayton this year. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Appreciate you sending those. Yep, and Andy, that one is... Just the right amount of foo-foo for Tommy. You know, we were concerned about that, and you nailed it, man. Yeah, yeah, that's so. pretty cool. I'm going partying tonight when as soon as I leave here. Yep. If I could find the luau. Exactly. Oh, one thing I meant to mention a moment ago when we were talking about uh, the Raspberry Pi Zero W there. Here is a link right here. I recommend that, uh, you know, if you get one of those and you want to set it up, it's got all the information you need to know about it right there. That's at SparkFun is where it, okay. that link will take you just to shorten up a little bit there. A couple other things that we want to mention, of course, is our social media groups on Amateur Logic, and that's where, Tommy? Well, we're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv. We've also got a ham college group there. We do. I'm assuming you can use the same URL and get to it with uh, ham college at the end. I think so. I haven't tried that. That I recall. Yeah, surely you should try it sometime. Uh, We've also got a Google Plus community that, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting posts going on in there as well. As a matter of fact, there were a bunch just posted to it today, wasn't it? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, something happened to that thing, and for some reason, a whole bunch of posts got marked 
to be moderated, and I don't know why because they were just per they were perfectly fine, and they've blocked a bunch of stuff at work, so I can't like slip over and check things during the day. So yeah. I, I just uh, it was a while before I saw them and, and flipped them over. But so anyway, yeah, it's some pretty cool stuff on there. Yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter, and that is at Amateur Logic and at Ham College. And we've also got the uh, Amateur Logic Wiki that our friend Dan in 9LVS maintains for us. AmateurLogic.tv slash wiki there. You'll find all uh, the show notes of previous episodes and links yep. you know, to some of the stuff we've talked about. It's a, it's a great resource. Really appreciate him doing that. If if you need to know which, which episode a certain segment was in, mm-hmm. go over there and search for it because... We don't remember, and honestly, most of the time, that's where we're going to go look for it, too. Yeah, well, after the first 100 episodes or so, it's kind of hard to remember. Start becoming a little bit of a blur after that. Yeah. So, (laughs) anyway, uh, great to be back with you tonight. Appreciate everyone watching. Uh, You in the chat room there, and you, uh, you folks watching live as well, and everyone who's downloaded the edited version afterwards. Yep. You know, I would say we got through tonight. Um, there were no mistakes, so Arnie's going to be sadly disappointed. He, he, I've been looking over here. He's he's pretty disappointed. Upset, huh? We're going to have yeah. to make double mistakes next month. Actually, there were some mistakes in there. Yeah, there were a few. I'm surprised he didn't see them. He didn't catch them. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, we got to set the bar pretty high on those mistakes. <laughs> That's true. They've got to be pretty monumental for them to even show up anymore. Well, Peter, any final thought in... Uh, there's one right there, just yep, for you, Arnie. Arnie. That's just <laughs> for you. Comments, uh, as I said earlier, go out and check out FT8, and um, uh, we'll see you on the bands. Okay. Tommy? Yep. So we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks on Ham College. Okay. And I will see, hopefully, a lot of you uh, this coming weekend at uh, Huntsville Ham Fest on the 19th and 20th of August, 2017. Um Make it over there if you can. We're looking forward to a big time there. And don't forget about uh, the MFJ Day in the Park coming up next month. Yeah, if you're in the U.S., don't forget the, and you're watching the live stream, don't forget about the meteor shower tonight and tomorrow night. I want to try to get out and take some pictures, but it's been cloudy and, yeah. and raining here. And the solar eclipse, or excuse me, yeah, yeah solar eclipse coming up. Uh, when is that, week after next? 21st. Oh, so it's this coming? Yeah, the day after I get back from Huntsville. Okay, so this, not this week, but the following yeah, week. It'll be, yeah, it'll be on a Monday. So, uh, so not 100% here where we are, but still, it's a pretty high percentage. Yeah, so. it's a lot. It's going to be better here than it is in Dallas, where I'll be when it happens. Yeah. Well, so, that's I'll, the breaks. I'll actually be landing about time. It's the darkest yeah. there. All right, 7-3, everyone, and we'll see.
Hi, welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I believe it's number 107. I'm George. And aloha, I'm Tommy. And I'm missing. Oh, there I am. Okay. <laughs> you know, Joe Taylor is the man. Uh, hold, uh, sorry, uh, just one second. Um, I just want to quickly ask you, have you actually started your recorders or your uh, things recording? Uh, yes, we did. I just I, I forgot to mention it before we started yeah. playing the intro. Yeah.